Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Not Another Sales Guy. In the episode today, I'm joined by my guest, John Sane, and we're going to be discussing what it is to be a higher value human being. We're going to be talking all about what gets in the way of us doing this, how it can benefit ourselves, but also our customers, not just in the world of sales, but everyday life, and provide you with some practical tips to take away and put into practice. So sit back, grab a pen and pad, and enjoy. John, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. I thought it'd be great um, to start off with for the listener's perspective of maybe just delving into a bit more about you and your story, which we can delve into a bit more detail later on. But just for now, a bit of an overview, really. Um, I, I'm an I'm a entrepreneur at heart. I um, have spent my whole life uh, trying to do what everybody else does, is make as, as make as much money as possible in a short period of time. And um, in my 20s, I did it really well. In my early 30s, I had to declare bankruptcy and uh, then spent about four or five years in a deep depression um, without realizing I was actually in a depression, which is the sort of genius of depression that you don't even know you're actually suffering from it. And in order to get myself out of that depression, I um, really started doing a lot of um, internal work, uh, self-introspection uh, and uh, started studying psychology quite a lot, um, informally, not formally, and um, came out of that on the other side of it about four or five years ago with a deep understanding of human psychology um, by being able to shift my sort of perspective. I combined that together with my entrepreneurial skills and my love of the future, which has always been something that's been part of my, my sort of reality of always being an early adopter whenever um, something new was happening, whether it was a restaurant or a type of thinking or a food or whatever it is, I was always the guy within my friends to kind of like get, get stuck into that. And so what I've done in the last three, four years is combined human psychology, uh, business strategy and future studies. And I've combined them to create a way for people to understand the future better, looking at the future holistically. And so now I write books. I am part of Singularity University in San Francisco's faculty I am now been invited to be faculty at one or two other universities, and now I travel the world um, presenting keynotes, um, writing books, doing vlogs, and being on podcasts. And I'm having the best time of my life, uh, sort of teaching and sharing uh, my experiences. Great, yeah, and I mean, you know, having seen followed you over the last sort of two or three months, it seems like you know you're adding a lot of value to to all, people all over the world, really, and. Um, I think we were just talking. What what really interested me when I started w watching you and listening to you was your different perspective and also just how you position your content and when you're talking, that kind of way of keeping it quite simple at the same time, making the mm. complex quite simple, which I think really resonates with a lot of people, particularly with this day and age where people keep make the simple complex really. Yes. I feel sometimes. Um, well, I think a lot of people aren't um, utilizing their own very intrinsic perspective. I think a lot of people are reading and regurgitating. And I think the lack of authenticity is felt. And I think a lot of people are making a lot of noise just regurgitating. And I think what I've been able to do because of my own sort of pain 
uh, is really get deep into taking the information in and regurgitating it with my flavor and my perspective attached to it. And my brain needs it to be simplified in order to understand it. So I think that's what's coming across. And thank you for the compliment. You're very welcome. Very welcome. And as I mentioned, I mean, there's a number of things that you've talked about and that's out there in terms of like YouTube and your book. Um, But I thought it'd be great to focus on this uh, idea of what what it means to be a higher value human being. I mean, I saw a video of yours uh, about a month or so ago now, I think when you were in Kuwait, just before a keynote talking about this, and it really intrigued me. So what do you, what's your interpretation? And for the listeners, what, what do you mean by a higher value human being? So I think before I do that, I want to just give it some context. I think the world we come from, um, from the first industrial revolution, the second industrial revolution, and now as we're moving into the third and fourth industrial revolutions, the level of competition was required, the level of push, the level of drive, all of these things were uh, required to take humanity into this very incredible place that we're at at the moment. But I think the expiry date has happened, whereas we're starting to ruin the environment, we're starting to um, make a lot of people depressed. We make there, There's so many things that are actually on the negative now based on this deep level of ambition that we've had for so many years that have done so good and so well for us. I think the world we're moving into is starting to move much more towards collaborativeness, uh, companionship, and a lot more sort of conscious uh, as we start moving into the in, into the future. And, and, and so this idea of being a high-value human being is what I think is intrinsic to performing well in the future. You see, in the future where you need to collaborate and influence and and inspire people around you more than ever, in order to do that, we need to adopt a high-value perspective. And and before I tell you what a high-value human being is, let me first tell you what a low-value human being is. Um, Deep, deep, deep deep-seated human psychology um, tells us that we all uh, require three things. We require attention, acceptance, and approval. Everything we do in our lives, the football team we support, the car we choose to drive, the subject we choose to study gives us attention, acceptance, and approval. I know very well my family would always say, you need to have a degree behind your name. And what you would do then is go and study a degree you didn't really like in order to get attention, acceptance, and approval. Low-value human beings beg for attention, acceptance, and approval in sort of desperation of many selfies or uh, taking photos um, in in spaces that make you feel or feel accepted attention and and, and get approval. I know some people that go to um, uh, Monte Carlo and take a photo with that. And that's all all they're doing is really looking for attention, acceptance, and approval. That's kind of begging for it. The second version of a low-value human being is somebody who becomes aggressive in order to gain attention, acceptance, and approval. Becoming angry, having a tantrum, throwing your toys out the cot, that gives you attention, acceptance, and approval. And the third sort of low-value human being trait is somebody who competes for attention, acceptance, and approval in a constant competition, hoping that because they win or beat the competition, they get attention, acceptance, and approval. And all of these energy sources are draining and sort of negative in a way. And what a high-value human being does is give attention, acceptance, and approval. Somebody who is always willing to listen, give attention, and not always very, very um, keen to add their five cents to the process is actually just taking a time and listening to people. And I, and I joke about this in some of my keynotes, I, I talk about how people mostly are optometrists and what optometrists mm. are eye specialists. And when I say eye specialists, I don't mean the eye in your head, but the eye as in 
the letter I. I did this and I did that and I did this. And most people are just continuously ranting on what they did. And that's becoming desperate for attention, acceptance, and approval. And the world we're moving into, collaboration, inspiration, influence, persuasion, in the most um, positive way is required for us to become successful in life. And by doing this, by playing the long game, the elegant game, or as I call it, the cathedral game, this, these ideas that, you know, let's be patient, let's be elegant, and let's actually give attention, acceptance, and approval, and watch it come back to you tenfold. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what really resonated with me there, because when I was watching that video of yours and you were talking about it, I was thinking, why aren't we all high value human beings? Was that 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 space in between begging for it and giving it is actually feeling like you have it for yourself. I think the reason why I don't think a lot of people are that high value human being is because they don't feel like they've given themselves enough attention, acceptance and approval. Therefore, they need to seek it from others. Well, you see, that's the, that's the sort of um, the, the, the shadows working, the desperation for the outward world to give us the, the attention, acceptance and approval. When we've done the internal work, when we've gone through the pain and come out on the other side of it, we understand that it's an internal job, not an external job. As cliche as that might sound, it is absolutely that, you know, people that are desperate for attention, acceptance and approval drain our energy. In fact, we do our best to try and avoid them, but sometimes we don't even realize that we are one of those pers- people. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. And, and do you think it's by choice that everyone isn't a high value human being, or do you think there's some other things that, that come into play here? No, you see, there's three stages of enlightenment. There's three stages of waking up in life. You know, the, I, I'm, I'm about to do a video about it, but I'll, I'll tell you about it anyway. The difference between economy class, business class, and first class. The three stages of enlightenment. And, and you know, I, I, I remember the first time I flew for business. It was 20 years ago. I was so proud of myself that I'd taken a flight just for business. I mean, it was like a dream come true. And I got involved in my first business. And I was just, I was just so excited to be on a plane for business, not for holiday. And then I went throughout my career. And then I started watching business class people and started trying to understand the psychology of what people in business class have and how do they perceive themselves that they think they deserve to sit on such a big chair and think that they, you know, they are, they're worthy of sitting in business class. And I started looking at the psychology of it. And now I'm very lucky and privileged and fortunate to fly business class. And now what happens before I get off the plane, now I've got to wait for first class people to get off. And now my head's going, hang on a second. What do these first class people have going on inside their heads that makes them think they deserve to be flying in a flipping suite? I mean, I'm very happy with my my seat, but geez, this is a totally different level. And, and as an economy class person, you never actually have exposure to the first class people. Anyway, so I started doing the research on it and just really started to understand my own sort of understanding of it. And I realized there's three stages and I'm just having fun with the economy business and, and, and first class, but it's quite prevalent in my life right now. And I, and I, and I enjoy those luxuries. But anyway, this is what it is. It says that uh, the, the, the sort of stories that I picked up on was, there are three stages of enlightenment. The first stage is that you don't even know that there are rules to the game of life. And what you're doing is just running around like a headless chicken and you're just running around trying to do your best. You've got a nine to five job. You're always in traffic. You're always in the tube. You, 
you know, you've got a miserable job, but you're just going through the process of it because that's what people have told you. All of a sudden you wake up one day and you realize something happens to you and you realize, oh my God, there are rules to this game of life. And there's certain rules that I can actually follow that could make me more successful. So then what you start doing is really understanding these rules better and better and start playing within these rules. And now because these new rules that you've discovered are now start pushing you forward and start getting you to do better and better and better. But then the third stage of enlightenment, which is really what's starting to fascinate me, is that you can manipulate these rules. You can actually make these rules as you're going along. You've got that much power as a human being to really radically shift your reality by a whole bunch of different sort of tool sets. And so what I watch is that economy class people don't even know there's rules. They're just running around trying to do their thing. Business class people have understood that there are rules and are now playing within these rules. And first class people are manipulating and creating their own rules as they're going along. And so this idea that is it subconscious? Do they know they're doing it? I don't even think people know. You know, it's that first, it's that economy class. It's just, you don't even know that it's happening. You're just, you're just going through the motion of living your life. You haven't really asked those deeper questions. And unfortunately, as human beings, what gets you to ask those deeper questions is pain. You know, something radical has to shift in your life in order for you to ask deeper questions about your reality and why you're here. And this is why I think it's so important to, for us to deal with human psychology before we even start talking about artificial intelligence and robotics and you name it. There's so many myriad of new things coming up front. But if we don't have the right mindset and the, the right sort of perspective on this reality we're moving into, whatever whatever is coming in the future, what we do as a as a reflex is become pessimistic about it. And the, 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 it takes about uh, exactly 0% of courage to be pessimistic. And so what happens is our, our, our reflex shouldn't be pessimistic, but should be optimistic. And the way it becomes optimistic is when we've done that internal work, when we've woken up to the fact that we are actually a lot more powerful than, than we've been taught to, to, to believe. Mm. And, and as you say, I think it needs to be a conscious effort, really, because naturally, as human beings, what we're motivated by more is the fear of, of pain rather than gain. And, you know, the, the essential kind of human nature is to survive. So it needs to be something that you proactively work on, which I think particularly when it comes to mindset in the world of sales or, or everyday life that people overlook sometimes and can take for granted and feel that, you know, you've either got it or you haven't, or I'm not that type of person where it's like anything, it can be trained and it can be, it can be manipulated as you mentioned with those. Well, you know, the Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's a prolific author and writer, I mean, and speaker, he, he, he says that every human being has a mind. This mind has got a personality. This personality has behaviors, these behaviors and habits, these habits have rituals. And as human beings, we made up of these steps, you know, rituals, habits, behavior, personality, and mind. And, you know, when you wake up in the morning and for the first 10 seconds, you don't know who you are, then you become reminded of your personality, your behavior, your habits, and your rituals. In other words, you get reminded of the software you've chosen to put into your head. And so we can change the software, you know, we can, we can manipulate it, we can inspire it to shift. And uh, I think it's vitally important, if not the most essential thing for us to do as human beings is to wake up to that and then really start becoming architects of our future rather than victims of it. Definitely. Definitely. And I think on that as well, when we were saying, you know, why, why isn't everyone a high value human being? I think some people are actually in the position where they, where they know themselves and they could be a high value human being, but they're still worrying too much about what other people think and therefore aren't able to see their, their real value, whether that be a lack of self-esteem or confidence or self-awareness, that they're not able to move into that space, even though they could actually be there. 
I think at the base of it is scarcity. You know, I think uh, a lot of us have this idea that there isn't enough. So I need mm. to get everybody to hear me as often as possible so that I can make sure that people understand that, you know, I'm the one that needs that, that last five pounds that's available or whatever the mason may. And so when you start getting into this mindset, you start realizing that there's so much available for so many people. In fact, everybody can have a lot and have a very comfortable life. And when you start taking your foot off the pedal in my new book, I call it the, 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 the horny teenage boy syndrome. When you understand that you're acting like a horny teenage boy without even realizing acting like a horny teenage boy, you then take your foot off the pedal and you're like, okay, you know, there's not such a major hurry. You know, um, the, you know, did you watch uh, that movie, the, um, the last samurai? Yes. With Tom Cruise and uh, the samurai fighter. You know, when you're watching that movie, all of us love the samurai fighter. We love his elegance, his poise, his calmness. We all think Tom Cruise is acting like an absolute fool and a child. In fact, like a horny teenage boy. And right at the end of it, we all realize that the way to be actually is to be like the samurai fighter. But all of us leave that cinema or finish watching that movie and we all go back to acting like Tom Cruise. None of us actually go back to becoming a samurai fighter. And very few of us do. And so for me, that's so indicative of us. We, we have this idea of who we want to be, but really it's very tough to want to make that decision and actually move into that direction. But ultimately, and this is my own experience, ultimately, It'll be the most profitable decision you'll ever make. And for me, that's what's happened to my life. Is I'm making more money than I've ever made by applying myself with these more elegant, calmer processes as I'm moving into my sort of mid-40s now. Mm -hmm. And on that, what do you think uh, we can gain, or even you know, if we're talking about it from a world of sales as well, our customers can gain from us being a, a high-value human being? You know, I tell people in my keynotes a lot, I said, ladies in the audience, tell me when last time you were in a club and a guy was undressing you with his eyes, how did you feel? Well, you know, obviously it feels terrible. It feels uh, violating. It feels it just, it's a terrible, it's a terrible notion. And guys think that it's cool or whatever the case may be. I think sales in the same process, when you're continuously going after that short-term sell, what people start realizing after a while is that you are not in here for the long run. You're here for the short run. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to trust you. And I'm going to look for the next person that's maybe cheaper than you or whatever the case may be. And my deciding process doesn't become one of trust, but one is also of a short win. And so for me, it's I think all sales needs to stop selling and start positioning. And positioning for me is really how do we go about becoming – a advisor and a an helper and somebody that's got a long game. And, and, and another video I made called the games of life is uh, the, this concept that life isn't a game. Ga life is a series of games. And what happens is when we realize that it's a series of games, we okay with losing some and winning some. When we have become okay with winning some and losing some, the people that are watching us play these games. And in fact, the people we're playing the games with realize that we are fair we are about the bigger picture. And then what happens is we get invited to play more games. And that's really what winning at the games of life is about, is that when we get invited to more games, we get a bigger percentage and opportunity to win in the long run. So sales needs to meet for me is how do you help me in the long run where I build trust with you? And when I build that level of trust with you, I will never go elsewhere. 
price becomes secondary to my deciding factor because I'm gaining so much value from you. Mm. Yeah, and I think these days, particularly, I think it's a it's a bit of a uh, misunderstanding where a lot of people think in the world of sales, primarily my customer needs to like me. I think liking is a bonus, but fundamentally, it comes to as you mentioned there, trusting you, because that's where, as you say, the long term relationships are going to be built. And I think the more you can, the more your customer can see that you're in it for the long run and that you're doing the right thing for the right thing and looking to advise them rather than sell to them, I think the more they're able to buy into you and and create that trust, not just for them directly, but those people around them within that organization, which of course creates that kind of stickiness where you're not just working with one individual, you're creating a a network of people that trust you. Whereas liking someone that can normally just come down to one individual and then obviously you don't have the direct impact of everyone else. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think this is all great, uh, well said and done. And anybody who's in sales can listen to this chat and go, well, you know, my boss doesn't give a shit. He really just wants or she really wants sales at the end of the month, doesn't care about anything else. And I get that. You know, I think structurally the world is set up like a horny teenage boy. It's like we need to be giving those profits on a monthly, quarterly, weekly basis. And if you don't, you're fired. I mean, that's just what happens. Like, you know, you don't do it for a couple of weeks in a row and then you're fired. So when I talk about innovation and disruption in my books and my keynotes, I'm not so much talking about a a product or service. I'm talking about institutionally shifting how we are looking at profitability. How do we measure GDP? Because as we start moving into this future where technology is making most of the things around us free, how are we going to measure GDP when GDP is based on inflation, where technology is deflating economies? And if you just take WhatsApp, and what's that? What WhatsApp's done to the telecom sector globally is disseminated it. It's totally taken it apart. And now, how do you how do you how do you how do you measure GDP on an increased inflational basis when technology is making the sort of structural measurement of success shifting? So, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, yes, we can say all these things about sales, but we also need to look at how we measure success and, and what sort of cycles we're using to measure success. And if you look at the heroes today, the the people that are building the biggest companies, the the people that we all looking up to, the Jeff Bezos's of the world and the Elon Musk's of the world, they have very different cycles of profitability so they measure their 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 sort of uh profit and loss in a very different way than other businesses do and this is what's given them the opportunity to really become such giant businesses is that they're not hungry for profit every quarter Mm. absolutely i think that comes down to as you say looking at it from a long-term vision but also just knowing knowing yourself more and knowing what you're in what you're in it for and i think that's what what also comes from being a a high value big course as we mentioned earlier, before giving it, you need to know it within yourself. And I think why these individuals are able to do that is because that they trust themselves and they believe in themselves. And quite often within this world, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of people are fearful of starting something or change because of the unknown or not knowing what's going to work. But if you've got that passion and that belief, then that's that's the key ingredient, really, that you need to get started. And I think this is what those those individuals you mentioned have within the core of themselves. Yeah, I think I think if you look at all of them, they've been close to bankruptcy a few times, if not already been bankrupt a few times. And so they're not measuring money, they're measuring impact. Mm. And uh, that's another thing for salespeople. If you don't love what you're selling, stop selling it. You know, just go somewhere where you love what you're selling. And and truth be told, we are all 95% of the day selling. We're selling something. We're persuading somebody to think well, like we do or do the dishes or whatever the case may be, go to the restaurant we want to go to. So we're selling all the time anyway. 
So uh, rather go and sell something that you're deeply, deeply excited about and passionate about and uh, make that something that you're selling rather than just another car or just another contract or just another insurance plan. Definitely. It kind of relates to um, a post I put up on my Instagram the other day, which was, you know, talking about this, this word value selling that gets thrown around a lot these days mm. around, you know, you need to provide the value, you need to present it. But initially, you need to be able to present the value within yourself before you present the product or solution that you're selling. It could be, you know, the best product or solution. But if someone doesn't buy into the value that you have for yourself and the belief that you show, that they're not going to buy into anything that you're talking about, essentially. Well said. Yeah, that's right. You know, I buy the human first and then I buy your product. Mm. And that's the thing with this day and age that we're living in is we can build these incredible online personas where we build trust with people. And the minute you have this deep trust with your, with your I don't want to say fans or people that follow you, you can sell them anything. And I'm not saying manipulatively sell them anything because, again, you, you're wanting to build trust. But, you know, because you build trust with me and it takes time to build trust, you know, I've got my second book coming out. I've already got bigger pre-orders than I would have ever imagined to because of the trust I've been building over the last five, six years of being on social media. And so this, this level of trust that I think is by far the most important thing that people don't uh, pay attention to. And you look at brands that build their brands on trust. And look what they're doing. Look at Patagonia clothing. I mean, their whole mission is trust, you know? So it's, mm. it's good to watch these companies that have this long-term view. Yeah, and I think also on that with social media these days is that, that that level of trust is that it's built more from people just being more authentic and showing the kind of raw selves of who they are, really, not having this polished corporate look all the time. I feel like over the last sort of two or three years, this is kind of transitioned into people just want to see the kind of rough and ready look rather than the polished artificial corporate look of things and you see individuals sort of posting online videos just talking talking speaking their mind essentially rather than having some script or something that they've gone through marketing with and that's what really resonates with people yeah and i think that's the thing you know authenticity we're all the same you know, and, and I want to see somebody real stepping out of their comfort zone doing something. It inspires me to do that. And when it's too polished, we just don't trust it anymore. You know, like that was the 80s and 90s. And that was like TV and television. And that's just kind of done. As Gary Vaynerchuk says, is don't, don't, um, don't film, document. Yeah. Like just document your day, you know, just like document parts and parts of it and uh, share that with people. And uh, as long as you're adding value, as long as people are coming back to listen to what you have to say, then you start building that level of trust. And it doesn't matter what job you're in or whatever you're doing, I think that's available to all of us. We should all be building these sort of personal brands online. Mm, absolutely. And at the same time, not trying to be everything to everyone because I think particularly with, with social media, that can be a danger sometimes feeling like, you know, you look at these other individuals who are years beyond where some people might be now and thinking I need to be like them. And it's like, no, stay to your core principles. What do you believe in? Because if you've got a passion for it, I think Alan Watts talks about this. If you've got a passion for something and you're able to show that, the world will naturally gravitate towards you. And if there isn't necessarily a market for it right there right now, that passion and that belief will shine through and you'll be able to create something from it. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that people look for gaps in the market or they look where, where the money is going to be and they mm. put their effort into that. And uh, that's not the decision-making process I think we need to be following. I think when we understand that our unique flavor is going to be by far the most profitable thing for us to follow. And I, I did this talk a little while back and uh, it was about goal setting and why some of our goals don't always come 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 to fruition. And um, 
I always, I kind of think that most goals are set with uh, the mental sort of logical mind or the primal desire piece of our body, which says that we need to be better than our competition and, and sort of um, uh, better than our competition and uh, uh, sexier to the opposite sex or the same sex, which is all primal desire stuff. When we make goals based on those, like I want a Ferrari or I want a yacht, those are primal desire goals. They, they aren't like intrinsically with you, you know? And uh, the way I believe that we need to be setting goals is I've got this four-step process that says, follow what shines brightest. In other words, every time you're on YouTube, you're on podcasts, you wherever you are, what topic keeps catching your eye? What, what shines brightest? Once you follow what shines brightest, you then get to a place of deep curiosity and you start becoming more and more curious about the space. And that curiosity moves you into expert level. Because curiosity and this constant sort of need to want to know more about what shines brightest, it becomes obvious. The third step is when you become excited about this topic. And when you become excited about anything in your life, you become, uh, you have this almost uh, uh, constant tap into energy. You have this constant innovative and creative mindset. And really what happens is you then end up really following what gets you most excited. And, and in that space, goal setting becomes obvious. And in that space, we're able to really have endless access to energy and creativity moving forward. So the three parts of our body that we make decisions from, our head, our primal desires, or our heart, I think that space of our heart, again, without it sounding cliche, follow your heart, follow your passion. I like to say follow your excitement because that really brings that sort of tangibility to it. Absolutely. And I think that, that definitely relates to what we what you were talking about earlier on, where the example of economy, business and first class is that when you've become clear on your goals and your strategy, you're able to then start manipulating the, the games of life, really. What else do you think people, you know, people listening to this podcast, what can they do or focus on or practice to be able to become a more higher value human being, do you think? I think, um, you know, uh, we as human beings are made up of uh, memories, experiences and memories. You know, we, we, we look back on our lives and uh, we are left with these experiences that have become memories. And these memories are then either motivating us, inspiring us or keeping us stuck. And so how do we go about looking at these memories in the past and changing them? And as Tony Robbins calls it, he says, how do you go from making your memories unconscious to conscious? How do you go from blaming your memories and people in your past for experiences that you thought were there to hurt you and go into a space of actually thanking those people for learning or teaching you those lessons and you being able to learn lessons from those experiences? When we're able to shift our memories and we're able to change our memories, we're able to make them conscious instead of unconscious, we become extremely powerful. We become extremely um, uh, energized uh, to be able to tackle what's coming in front of us, you know, and I think this again, I mean, I, I, I do position myself as a futurist and I speak a lot about the future, but I mean, this conversation sort of lends itself to understanding how deep, deep our subconscious mind and our shadows and our memories impact the way we look at ourselves and how we show up in the world. And I think really is, is dive deep into understanding what these memories are and, and where they were created and get a coach, you know. Read up on it. Uh, read up on Jung and the shadows. Read up um, uh, sort of Jordan Peterson's stuff around how do we go about tackling these things. And I and I have I have three coaches, and a lot of people say that's excessive, but I really don't think so because 
we need we need coaches in order to show us an objective viewpoint of our lives. And if you look at the top sports stars in the world, what's got them to the top besides their own work ethic is fantastic coaches around them. And so that's really for me is go and find a coach, go and find a, a emotional coach, a psychological coach, a body coach, a tantra coach, a just try and try and surround yourself with experts so that you are able to tap into those sort of memories and experiences and, and turn them around so they work for you rather than actually hold you back. Yeah, nice, nice bit of advice there. You mentioned around needing to shift our, our memories. I think it's also around emotions or how we respond to things with, which happen within everyday life. I was watching a, I'm not sure if you saw the video Simon Sinek put up a couple of weeks ago about uh, how top sports stars reprogram their minds. And he talked about the example of Nervous, nervous and excitement. Being, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they're exactly the same emotions yeah, exactly. when you actually break them down. But it's the body's response and the kind of memories, as you mentioned, as to how you react to it. And he yeah. said, you know, for example, after every race, the reporter will always ask the, yeah. the winner, yeah. were, you, were you nervous? And they'll always be like, no, I was excited because yeah. that's yeah. how they've programmed themselves to see this. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's working on everything, like you say, from your memories, your emotions, because a lot of things in, in, in life, you know, that, that old adage of, you know, life is 10% of things happening to you and 90% of you, how you deal with them yeah. is, is, is exactly what puts the successful people from the unsuccessful people apart is that all of these things have happened to the same people you mentioned earlier, those yeah. people such as Elon Musk, they become bankrupt, they've struggled yeah. and yeah. But they've, they reacted to it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if you, if you, if we have one word really to sum it all up is responsibility is take responsibility. And I think a lot of the time society doesn't even realize they're not taking responsibility, you know, and I know, I know I love London. Uh, I've been to England. I've lived in England for many times, but you know, English are professionals at moaning. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been to a pub with a lot of my, I've got one of some of my dearest, dearest friends are English and I go to the pub with them and it's just one bone after another, whether it's about your football team, the weather, Brexit, you name it, whatever the case may be. And whenever you're moaning, whenever you're complaining, whether you're complaining in jest or not, you're not taking responsibility for that sort of your perspective, your bubble of reality. And, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. A lot of people make a lot of money, no matter what is going on economically. And a lot of people can never make money no matter what's going on economically. And so if you look at that, it's like, well, hang on a second, what's different about these people? And I think there's a level of irreverence and sometimes seen as arrogance by people that don't give a shit what's going on around them. It's like, just mm -hmm. keep going and focusing on what I need to focus on. Moaning, schmoaning, not taking responsibility for things around me really leave me in a weak place. And um, I think that level of responsibility and a level of irreverence is absolutely necessary to zone in and focus uh, on what we actually want to create rather than blaming other things why we weren't able to create them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think they know there's some real practical advice there. And also, hopefully, from the listener's perspective, they understand a bit more about what, what we mean by a higher value human being. Um, you know, why sometimes people, why isn't everyone a high value human being and also yeah. you know, what value it can it can bring and um, what i'd like to do now john is just maybe delve into a bit more about about you i mean obviously we started the podcast uh, with a bit of an overview and um throughout you've mentioned a couple of stories but first of all what would you say inspires you and where do you source your inspiration from well i mean i it's a big question um i want before i answer that question i just want to say to the listeners is i am a capitalist i love money 
I love luxury. And so by far, what I'm saying to you here is not about being Gandhi. It's not about being wearing uh, sandals and eating lentils all day. It's, I, I love all the good things, you know? So I just want to put that out there. So I'm not just all lottie dog cliche after cliche. It's just really, you know, this is what the most profitable thing in my life has been. Mm. What inspires me really, I think, is um, if, you, if you take the word enthusiasm and you break it down, it comes from a Greek word called enthu, which means in spirit. And if you look at the word called inspiration, it's inspiration. And really what, what those two things are is how do you know what makes you most inspired? And when you tap into that, you become your own inspiration. And so um, Mark Twain said it best. He said, the two most important days of your life are when you're born and when you find out why. And when you find out why, boy, does that become a powerful source of inspiration. And so what starts happening is that you start tapping into this unbelievable level of creativity and energy that has always been there. And the Romans also talk about it. They say that we've all got this pocket of genius above us, all of us. And we just need to tap into this pocket of genius. And then all of a sudden, we've got all the inspiration we require. So really, for me, besides my own sort of tapping into my own sort of energy sources, I've got a constant flow of podcasts and books and YouTube clips and talks and this is a constant flow. Everything from Jordan Peterson to Jung to Peter Diamandis to Elon Musk to, um, you know, these people that have really overcome a lot of their own issues and taken responsibility for their lives and are having an incredible impact on humanity in the most positive way. Peter Diamandis says his best. He says, we all need to become or aim to become the new type of billionaire. And the new type of billionaire is somebody who impacts a billion people's lives positively. And that's really what you want to be looking at as a class act, you know, not the person driving the Ferrari. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that's not the point. The point is how do you impact everything around you and everybody around you in the most positive way? How do you ripple affect other people's inspiration to actually also wake up? And then everybody starts becoming a high value human being. And then we start living in a very different world. Mm. And, and on that, you know, you've mentioned um, a, a number of ways in which you source your inspiration there. For you, is there any particular story or piece of advice that you've been given over the years that's that stuck with you as that one thing that you've always remembered? Um, you know, my granddad had a really big influence on my life, and um, he, he was very wealthy in his life, and he died poor. And I saw him in his last few years really just frustrated with not having the same power as he used to have and the same sort of influence that he used to have. And I watched this man that was so regal and so powerful become just, you know, like shrivel up quite literally and mm. then pass away. And, and, and what he, what that taught me was we have to be forever learners. You know, my granddad stopped learning and stopped understanding what the new tool sets are required for the world that we're moving into. And, he tried to rely on his old skill sets and uh, they don't work, you know. And he used to tell me the story that in 1910, he was born in 1900. In 1910, he left home and he was working. And um, I mean, can you believe it? People at 10 years old were working back then. Anyway, he had his first business by the time he was 13, 14. And what do you relate? Do you remember the story he told me is that the price of bread didn't change from 1910 to 1943, I think. So like 33 years, the price of bread didn't change. There was no inflation. And that really kind of boggled my mind. I was like, geez, how, how is it possible that something didn't change price for that long? And now price of everything changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just where the, the world we live in today, if you're not 
able to be adaptable, agile, flexible, and be a forever learner, you're you're in shit. You know, and if you're wanting to stick to what you've always done, and just because you've studied something and got a PhD or a, or a, a, a degree with it, you you know you're in, you're in a bad space because really what you have to be doing is constantly being agile, constantly being flexible. And so the story of my granddad is nothing much that he said to me, but just me watching him have really influenced me to become a forever learner and to really adopt AQ as my major muscle, you know, agility quotient rather than IQ and EQ. Although I think both are important. I just think AQ is by far the most important moving forward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you meant, you mentioned, um, earlier on, I think related to that point about being adaptable is you said earlier, you know, a lot of businesses or people will try and go where the money is, but because of the sort of society these days and the evolution of selling and, and businesses and, and everything that by the time you get there, that it's already moved on because of how things are evolving. It's just, you're just going to be, you know, left for yeah. dust really by the time. Well, you, you know, the, the, the reactive strategy is dead. And you used mm. to have time before the reactive strategy would give you a little bit of a window. I think that's not available anymore. You know, my, one of the things that really inspired me was Chef's Table. I don't know if you've watched that series. Um, it's on Netflix. And it, yes. they, 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 they follow the top 50 chefs in the world. And they spend, I think, I guess, a month with each one to really understand their lives, their motivating factors, and, and what's made them to become the top 50 chefs in the world. You know, it's quite a, quite a big uh, achievement. And every single one of them, have a golden thread in their story. I went to go learn from this teacher or the chef in France or wherever they went. I came back home. I tried to copy the, the food that I'd learned how to make. It was a disaster. I got sick. I got divorced. I nearly died. I went bankrupt, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized that I need to bring my own flavor, my own fusion of flavors together. And since I've been doing that, now I'm in the top 50 chefs in the world. And so it's this very indicative of us bringing our own flavor to the world and actually piercing through reality's sort of veil in order to create our own menu that we sell that other people will love so much, you know, and I think we shy away from it, you know, for the longest time, the industrial revolution, the way we've studied has tried to make all of us fit into a box or become average rather than excel. And I think... When you start following this other process, you start really realizing that you can create your own menu and your own flavor of whatever you're doing. And look what I'm doing. I mean, I'm speaking to you. I'm sitting in Cape Town right now, and I'm speaking to you. And it's because I've created my own flavor where I'm now starting to get invited to speak globally. And just is really just about bringing my own fusion of my own way of thinking to the world. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And I think... Um, what people can really take from that is is just essentially just being yourself, not trying to it, first of all it's understanding yourself, but then not just being afraid to be yourself and, and letting people buy into that rather than feeling like you need to be like someone else or particularly with social media comp comparisons these days is so it's dangerous uh, and understandable, but it's just being comfortable with your own skin and thinking, as you mentioned, you know, what's my take on things, what's my flavor and, and there will be people that want to buy into that. Oh, there'll be lots of people. People, you know, there are two things that people want to buy into. One, they're enthralled that you've actually figured out who you are. That's the first thing. People are like, wow, yeah. this person really, now that's the first thing. What you're selling on top of that is, okay, yeah, I mean, that's great as well. But we, when we watch an Elon Musk or when we watch a Simon Cowell or, you know, the, it's secondary what they're doing. It's like how they've discovered who they are and how they've come on and, and, and sort of dealt with their own demons to a certain extent. That's what really excites us when we watch somebody like that. That's truly inspirational, you know. 
And so you might not like what that person's doing, but really once you've dealt with these sort of internal dialogues and you've dealt with your shadows and you've dealt with your memories, you're then not shy to come up and stand up and be yourself and be your most authentic version of yourself. And, and what happens then is you, when you are doing that, you then also build super fans and super haters. And that's also okay because you also can't be loved by everybody. Your flavor infusion menu is not for everybody, you know? So, and you become okay with that after a period of time and, and you build a, a level of irreverence and a, bit of, a level of focus that just, you don't care, you know, what's, what's going on on the outside there. Mm. Absolutely. You've, you've mentioned, uh, John, throughout the podcast a few times, your book. Be interested just to find out a bit more about that and, and what's the premise behind it, really. Thank you. Um, so my first book's called What's Your Moonshot? And um, it's about future-proofing yourself and your business and organization for the future. And I spend 50% of the book uh, talking about victim mindsets and the second top, uh, half of the book of how to categorize and contextualize the future so that you understand it and digest it better. It's a workshop format I've called Trenovate that I work with organizations around the world with. And this book, I'm asking people to ask bigger, bolder, and more courageous questions about the future. By exposing ourselves to the future, we build optimism. And by building optimism, we can take leaps and build these moonshot ideas and have the confidence to do so. It has done extremely well in South Africa. And now I'm starting to do tours around the world for it and also starting to do publishing deals around the world. And it's available on Amazon in the UK. Um, and my second book is called Magnetize. And it's... Um, it's really asking a new question. The new question is how deliberate, how elegant, and how conscious are your questions about the future? It's, it's one thing to think big, and I think it's amazing to think big, but can we think big and elegantly? Can we be consciously capitalist? Can we make sure that we're building an elegant business model that is helping both the environment, as well as your suppliers, as well as your customers, as well as your own pockets? And how do we create this sort of deep level of elegant elegance in our business modeling where we are actually playing this long game rather than a short game? And so, yeah, what's your moonshot? How big are you thinking? Magnetize. How consciously are you thinking? Those are, those are the two books that um, are available right now. Before we head off, John, is there any other bits of advice necessarily related to the topic we've been covering today that you'd, you'd want to share with the listeners yeah, you know, I just think that we live in the most fascinating time known to man. Uh, we have got this evolution looming uh, for us as human beings where we're moving to uh, the access to information we have, the access to people we have. You know, we've got to start thinking bigger. You know, you've got to start thinking louder. You've got to really start to understand that as individuals today, we have the same capability and capacity as organizations and governments did in the 70s, 80s and 90s, you know. And if you're not taking that opportunity, you're losing out. And uh, if you're not taking the opportunity to dive deeper into your own psyche, to understand your own superpowers and how you can spike those superpowers into the world, you're missing out. It's available to all of us. And uh, mm -hmm. your background, I do a talk called The Age of the Spectacular Human Being. And it's really, nobody cares that you're a male, a female, a black, a white, a Chinese, an Indian. Nobody cares. Just get on with it. Just add value, figure out who you are and get going with it and see what you can do for the world. And, you know, luxury and privilege and all these things work hard, understand who you are and you'll get there. It's never been easier, you know, so stop being in a victim mindset. Don't think so small and uh, you can really achieve anything more so than ever before in history, really. And it's just getting easier and easier. Mm. Mm. Great, great bit of advice there. And how can, how can people um, find you, John, or follow you? from through your social platforms 
Well, there. Thanks for asking. Um, John Sane, which is my name, it's J O H N S A N E I. Um, Sane is a, a Persian surname. My mom and dad are, are Persian, um, but I'm African. I was born in, in Africa and uh, kind of lived most of my life here, besides my stint in London, which I loved so much. But um, yeah, John Sane. I'm on uh, LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. I share a lot, uh, both blogs and vlogs, uh, as often as I'm inspired to. Um, I don't like weekly things. I, I'm not always inspired to do things uh, like that. Uh, when I have a good idea or a fresh idea, I like to share them. And yeah, I'm continuously sharing and uh, I've traveled a lot. So I'm also sharing all my experiences from around the world. I'd love for people to follow me and uh, share their experiences with me. Great. Well, thank you so much for your, your time today, John, and obviously your insights and your thoughts and tips as well. I think, you know, particularly just myself, I've, I've learned a lot from speaking to you. So hopefully the listeners have as well. My absolute pleasure. And well done to you, man. I hope your podcast grows exponentially. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. You're very welcome. Very welcome. And for all those listeners, thanks for tuning in um, for another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes. Hey, people. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes and posts, you can find me on Instagram not another sales guy underscore in each of those words you can also find the podcast on all major platforms by typing not another sales podcast and also if you want to connect to me on linkedin i go by the name of chris hatfield so thanks again and stay tuned for another episode